Hi, thanks for listening to our sermon podcast, Second on the Mount. I'm George Anderson, minister at Second Presbyterian in Roanoke, Virginia. I do not take it for granted that people sit in the pews on Sunday morning or listen to these podcasts hoping to hear something that connects them to God, to each other, to the world. And so I spend hours seeking the right word for the right time and said in the right way. I welcome your feedback. I encourage your sharing this sermon with anyone it might benefit. And I hope you'll return to this podcast again or come visit us for worship. We'd be happy to have you. Let us pray. Holy God, if there is anything said from this pulpit that is not according to your will, let it come to naught and do no harm. But if there is anything said from this pulpit that is according to your will, let it be heard as if sung by the voice of angels, that hearing we might believe, and believing obey. Amen. The Matthew passage that Elizabeth and I are about to read is known as the Beatitudes. Each Beatitude begins with the word usually translated blessed. Now in Greek, the word is rich in meaning and can't be replaced by a single word in English. But one choice that is just as acceptable as blessed is happy. At least in part, Jesus is speaking to a certain sort of happiness. Listen for who can be happy, and listen for the word of God. Happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Happy are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Happy are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Happy are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Happy are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so men persecuted the prophets who were before you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Scots like to be punctual. That's how they like to present themselves anyway. Consider the iconic clock on the tower atop Edinburgh's Balmoral Hotel. The hotel was built next to the Waverley Station and the clock runs three minutes fast to encourage Scots to be on time for departing trains. In its first 118 years, the clock was accurate only 118 times. Because every New Year's Eve, it was set to the correct time so that revelers below can count down the seconds and welcome in the new year. That tradition ended three days ago. The hotel decided not to reset the clock because they thought that the good people of Scotland would appreciate having three minutes less of the year 2020. Millie and I made similar decisions. On New Year's Eve, we went to sleep at 8 o'clock. Sure, I woke up at 4 o'clock in the morning, but at least it was 2021. 
Now, I know that there are some folks out there who would say that 2020 was one of the best years of their lives. A romance began, a baby was born, a dream job secured, a life turned around. But my guess is that most people, even those who enjoyed many significant blessings in their lives, would not put 2020 high on their favorite year list. Now, given that almost everyone worldwide is glad 2020 is over, one might assume that people were less happy than they normally were last year. I was a bit surprised to learn that may not be so. An Ipsos survey is conducted annually to measure levels of happiness worldwide. Now, I know that happiness is difficult to define and measure, but even so, I thought it at least thought-provoking to learn that while almost no one would say that 2020 was their favorite year, the average worldwide level of happiness reported by this survey was the same as it had been the year before, on average. In fact, some countries, particularly impacted by the pandemic, countries like Brazil, China, Italy, Russia, in those countries, happiness actually increased on average. Somehow, people in some countries found a way to be happy despite the circumstances of this past year. That was not the case with Americans, however. Americans found a way to become more miserable with a significant drop of 9%. Now again, I know that the survey tries to measure something that is subjective and hard to define, but think about it. Take an inventory of those people you know, the people you've experienced this past year based on what I have seen and heard. I can easily believe that the circumstances of life last year, both local and national, robbed Americans of some of their happiness. Aside from those who suffered serious loss, like the loss of a job or even a loved one, chief among the circumstances would be the restrictions of the pandemic, national social unrest with protests in the streets, and a very ugly election. Americans, on average, were more stressed, anxious, and even angry. I wonder if perhaps some Americans allowed this past year to settle too much in their heads and hearts. I use the word settle intentionally. I mean, we're not always supposed to be happy. That's neither realistic or healthy. We grow and we learn through adversity. Injustice is supposed to anger us. We should care about things like politics and policies and elections, and we have a right to our disappointments and celebrations as to how they go. And of course, we should think about finances and how we're going to take care of ourselves and others, and worry can lead us to good places because we can find solutions. And of course, we should worry when other people we care about get sick, and of course, we grieve when loved ones die. I mean, that's life. My question is not about being healthy and normal in reacting to life's circumstances. I am talking about when reactions to circumstances become lingering conditions. 
when anxiety becomes depression, when stress becomes neurosis, when anger becomes hatred, when worry becomes despair. Poor mental health is not always circumstantial or within one's control, but that said, I do have this question. Have some Americans ceded too much authority to outside circumstances in their experiencing a good or bad day? Circumstances will always affect our mood, but have some allowed their outlook on life to be controlled by outside events and voices too much? An outside authority we might do well to listen to is Jesus. Only it might be hard to take him seriously when he mentions some of those who are supposed to be happy. Those who grieve, those who sacrifice, those who are persecuted. He says these people who are in difficult circumstances in life can somehow be happy. Those crying beside a casket, or sitting in a jail cell because they spoke out for justice. If we think that Jesus is just simply offering explanations, then I would agree that he is being unrealistic. But when I think of Jesus offering a possibility of happiness, even a gift of happiness, then he begins to make sense. Maybe he is not describing how difficult circumstances can make people happy. Maybe he is talking about the kind of people who are more likely to find happiness in all circumstances. Consider, for instance, the first beatitude, happy or the poor in spirit. Bible scholar Ben Witherington says that Jesus isn't spiritualizing poverty and saying poor in spirit and describing those who are feeling down simply for whatever reason. No, Jesus is speaking of those who, because of real-life circumstances, have reasons to be despondent. They are literally poor, maybe, or actually oppressed, or have suffered some real injury or loss. If that is the case, then maybe this first beatitude speaks most directly to those who would say that they found 2020 depressing. Jesus is saying that a certain sort of happiness can be theirs. And so it goes with the beatitudes. Happiness can be known by those who are grieving. Happiness can be known by those who are persecuted, those who have been cheated or whose reputations have been slandered or those who have been outraged by injustice. Happiness can be known by those who sacrifice, those who show mercy toward those needing compassion, who at some cost to themselves forgive those who have offended them or hurt them or those who stick their necks out in some kind of stand for justice, Jesus is saying they can know a certain kind of happiness. Is that true? Let's use a little 2020 hindsight on 2020. But this time, let's stay focused on ourselves. For now, let's leave aside the important hindsight questions about what others could have said or done, 
what countries overseas did or did not do or say, or what leaders here at home did or did not do or say, or what police using force or crowds protesting in the streets did or did not say or do, or what family or friends around us did or did not say or do. How did we handle the circumstances of the year? Though many were denied the pleasure of gathering with family and friends, though many had legitimate reasons to worry about jobs and health, though many were reminded of gross injustices and racial bias, though many were caught up in the ebb and flow of an ugly election, though many are concerned about legal and illegal activity in the highest places, was it possible that some of us could have been happier even under those circumstances. Jesus says we can. But to get at what he is saying is possible or might even be offering to us as a gift, we need to understand what sort of happiness Jesus is talking about. I'm a philosophy major, and I think Aristotle can help us here. Aristotle described two different kinds of happiness that are very well known to Jesus and his listeners. Jesus is Jewish, the empire is Roman, but his culture is very Greek. The problem for us modern Americans is that while psychologists today still see validity in the great philosopher's definitions of two types of happiness, we Americans tend to concentrate on the first, which Jesus was not talking about, and not on the second, which Jesus was talking about. The first type of happiness, the happiness that Jesus is not talking about, is hedonic happiness. Hedonic happiness is a feeling, a sensation, a momentary pleasure that is a reaction to something outside yourself. It's a happiness largely based on circumstances. It might be the food you eat, a chemical you ingest, a program you've seen. It can come from a purchase, a seduction, an act of revenge, a joke, a game played, a song heard. Those who rely on these outside circumstances to bring them happiness, they might be those who tend to say things like, why can't, or if only, or I can't wait for, I can't wait for this to happen, I can't wait for this to be over with, because then I will be happy. And because the power to make you happy is outside yourself, it's easy to see that this kind of happiness can be manipulated by forces outside yourself. While marketing is not in and of itself bad or good, many marketers learn that while it's good to be happy, it is bad for business. And if they can peddle discontent or dissatisfaction, they can then more likely convince you to buy what they have to sell. It could be a product. It could be a vote. It could be themselves. Bring me into your life, and all your dreams will be realized. There's a different sort of happiness, though, that cannot be so easily manipulated. Aristotle calls it eudaimonic happiness. 
This kind of happiness, the philosopher said, is the lasting sense of well-being that comes from living a good, meaningful, and worthy life. This kind of well-being starts within one as one consistently lives according to virtues. That's the word Aristotle uses. As one consistently lives according to internalized virtues that bring meaning and purpose when they are lived by. Circumstances still will impact you, but one's perspective about and response to those circumstances begins within. This kind of happiness goes against a market-led, sensation-driven, pleasure-seeking approach to happiness. Circumstances matter, but how one responds to those circumstances more comes from the type of person one is. You can be sad because of the way that you are treated or the way that you see others are treated, or because you are lacking a simple human need like food or sleep, You can get angry, you can grieve, you can have bad days. But Aristotle believed that those who lived by these certain virtues more often find a way to discover meaning and joy within the circumstances. Another way of putting it is that the virtues themselves give us a different way to look and respond to what is happening around us. Let's look at a few virtues Aristotle mentions. Take loyalty. Circumstances this past year made us physically distance ourselves from each other, but did we really have to socially isolate ourselves? And maybe knowing that we had to be physically distanced, Maybe last year we could realize how important others are to us and maybe it would have given us a laser focus to what we needed to do to take care of each other. We could, for instance, love by refraining from embracing. And in that care for each other that we see as necessary, in those sacrifices that we make for each other, maybe the bonds between us actually grow stronger in such a year. And maybe you did that. Or take gratitude. How easy it was to be resentful for what was denied us, what we could not have or do. But maybe we could have noticed the blessings that we did have and be grateful. And we could have noticed the sacrifices being made on our behalf by frontline workers who put themselves at risk, by first responders, those who make it possible for life to go on, those who keep us safe at their own risk. Maybe we could have noticed the researchers who come up with treatment and vaccines or healthcare workers who expose themselves to treat those who are sick. Maybe we could have seen how Bright can shine courage and compassion when needed, and we could have given thanks for that. And maybe you did that too. Or take love. Some people need to ask themselves why they gave others the power to cause them to hate more. There has been this past year a marketing of hate using the strategy of demonization. But it's the demonization itself that is demonic. 
As Myra Angelou says, hate has caused a lot of problems in this world, but it has not solved one yet. The problems hate causes begins within one's own soul, for hatred stains the better parts of you. I want to ask those who learned to hate more in 2020, was there a different way to respond to those voices calling for hate? Do you think that maybe in resisting that temptation, in throwing oneself on the mercy of God's love, that maybe even in 2020 we could have learned to love more in response to the hate? One more virtue. Generosity. Perhaps more than any other virtue, that is the one that most illustrates the difference between the two types of happiness. The logic of hedonic happiness, relying as it does on circumstances, operates on the logic that the more we share, the less we have to make us happy. Of course, we never have enough. So lasting happiness remains this ever-elusive thing that we can't have until we have more, then we'll be happy. But if that's true, why do so many studies keep showing that generous people have a more lasting sense of well-being than greedy acquirers? Maybe it is because happiness that begins within is happiness that grows when it is shared. I do not know what the year 2021 will bring. I don't like that joke, 2021. But if Aristotle is right, whatever happens this year shouldn't get in the way of our finding the joy that Jesus speaks of in the Beatitudes. What if, and this is going to sound like making New Year's resolutions, but it's that time of year, what if we kept the disciplines that build the virtues of our inner life? What if we kept those disciplines this year? Maybe then we will grow even more into being the kind of people who find happiness even in the hardest of circumstances. Those circumstances, whatever they are, might inspire how we express our joy as we respond to them, as we rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, as we share the blessings of our lives, as we are grateful for the blessings that are shared with us, and as we experience this life of purpose and meaning. That's how Jesus lived within the circumstances of his life. Maybe joining him in that kind of life will make 2021 one of the best years ever, no matter what happens. Second Presbyterian, finding direction by following Jesus.